Good afternoon, Ann Arbor. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. I'm T. Hetzel. And today um, in the studio, uh, I'm lucky to have Jane Hamilton here. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. I'm so happy to be a living writer. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Isn't it the goofiest name? But it does give you like, um, yeah, it's, you're you're affirmed. Given given the choice. (laughs) Right. Given the choice, I know it's, it would be an awfully quiet radio show if it was like the Dead Writers show, right? I'm just sitting here alone, sort of weepy. Not that that's that much different than other afternoons when I'm not at the radio. No, just kidding. Um, well, well, Jane, um, you're here in Ann Arbor. You're visiting. You're coming through town um, to read tonight at the Ann Arbor Public Library yes. downtown branch. Right? That's at seven. Yes. Is it? And you're going to be reading from when Madeline was young. Actually, I'm going to read something new. Oh wow. Okay. Okay, this is good. I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing that on my Madeline Was Young tour, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> what are you gonna what are you gonna be reading? Um, I wrote a little comedy and I'm going to read from it. Oh that's wonderful. Is it um is it a, a novel or yes, a, it's a novel. Is, or a, okay. it's a novel. I'm oh. not gonna read the whole thing. I'm gonna read the <laughs> opening. <laughs> oh that's wonderful. Do you wanna read a part of that on the on the air as um, well? I don't have it along with me actually. Oh okay. I brought okay. the wrong things. But um, no, no. no, it's so it's it's so I won't do that. I don't. I haven't committed it to memory. Okay. No. No. I wouldn't. Yeah. That's not expected of you. Just. Um. Just. Of course. I'm sure you've been practicing your hand gestures to go along with the grand. You know, the opening sweeping comedic lines. And is it so a comedy? Is this completely? Um, well, you're always. You've got funny moments that are usually hinged to something that's also. Um, emotional in your your work well, already thank you, thank you. Um, I, I did you know I was kind of depressed about not only the world at large but the writing life in our culture at present and so I wrote this I, I suppose it's actually a social satire but um, my editor said that that made people that would make that made her think of Animal Farm and that would be better to call it a comedy so I'm Ooh, calling it a comedy okay but um, marketing wrote, <laughs> getting in there and you're not are you finished it like have you yes, finished I'm, writing it I'm okay. done but I, I did um, I wrote it really to cheer myself up about the world at large and um, to amuse myself um, and so then I did hand it in and um, the powers that be at my publisher's Double D were very perplexed that I would write a comedy and and I said you know I think that there are funny bits in the other books yes that this isn't really a departure talk about typecasting though <laughs> they want you to write the certain they want to be sure that you're going to give them some something with emotional heft then huh well I guess that's it and and um I mean, one of the powers that be said, um, you know, the the people who love to map the world, which is my second book, are going to be so disappointed by this. And, you know, it's true. I think that I've disappointed the people who love a map of the world ever since a map of the world. So they're going to be disappointed period but i cannot write that book again yeah and please don't i mean i mean at once it's you've done it right like what about those writers who they're they say they're always trying to kind of re go over old territory well how does that feel to i mean you say it quite lightly you say oh i've disappointed them ever since the map of a map of the world that seems like a pretty heavy thing to to feel though well you know i can only write the books that i write and um and and yet, it's true that when people say, oh, A Map of the World is my favorite, I think, fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm with you, Jane. 
I mean, I loved writing it. And, and it's also true that every book that, that I've written gets me to the next one, which is, so you have to write the one at hand because you have to write it, but it's also the trip to the next one. Right. I mean, my goal actually is to know when to stop. Know when to stop writing? Yes. What? <laughs> well, I mean, I hope it's years to come and that people are still reading and that I can still be writing. But, you know, you know, sometimes there comes a, a time with a favorite author and there's that last book and you think, oh, 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 dear, you should have stopped before really? or stopped publishing anyway. So all, anyway, that's my I, all I just, these concerns are sort of in your your mind, though. Well, not always in my mind, but that's, you know, um, when I'm not working there in my mind more than when I'm actually working, I think. Oh, that makes sense, actually. Like, um, like now you, you, you referred to this as my when Madeline was young tour. Um, Mm -hmm. So is this, are you, are you able to, is this sort of something that you, it's, it's kind of um, segment out and you're not writing right now or you're not considering, you're not working on anything that's in, is that a completely different mindset? And now you're, it's sort of the marketing world it is a different mindset um but mostly because i i really need to quiet and i need a a chunk of time and and um i have both been taking care of my mother and and being on the road um and the pleasure of being on the road is really having time to read i think of of um being on an airplane as being on the floating library and it's, it's, (laughs) it's 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 a great pleasure of its own so um so that's good. Oh, that yeah. Who so who who's with you on this book tour? Um, right now, I'm reading a galley of Meg Wolitzer's f- upcoming book. She wrote The Position and The Wife, as well as other books. Um, and this is called The Ten Year Nap, and it's about um, it's a great title. It's it's about women who have opted out, so to speak, to take care of their children, and then there they are. It's it's a novel, but she's she's wonderful company. Oh, yes. Yeah. And you can kind of after the day is over, you can sort of recharge by reading her and and um, and you said you're reading a galley. Yeah, it's not. It'll be published next spring. And so does that mean that you'll be one of the people who perhaps blurbs that Jane or Um, or no, no, she didn't. She's a friend and and she didn't ask, um, which is she just sent it for my pleasure. But before this, I was reading at the same time I was reading The Looming Tower, which is about the rise of Al Qaeda. And I was reading the Diana Chronicles about Princess Diana. So that was a great duet. Wow. <laughs> that does sound. Yeah, two kind of different voices going on for company there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, this is a Dia- Diana moment, right? <laughs> Diana Bin Laden. Diana Bin Laden. <laughs> right, strange dinner dinner partners or, or so. Like they always say, imagine yourself at dinner with these. Who would you invite to dinner, right? Um, well, before, you know what I realize is that I've been remiss with my duties because usually... This is kind of silly, but um, but just in case, like it, I want to read your your bio that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that Anchor Books sent out, um, just so that we can hear all the books that you've you know. Well, anyway, let me just read this just for background for everyone listening. Jane Hamilton is the author of The Book of Ruth, winner of the Penn Hemingway Award for First Fiction, and A Map of the World, a New York Times Notable Book of the Year, and named one of the top ten books of the year. 
Both the Book of Ruth and a Map of the World have been selections of Oprah's book club. Her following work, The Short History of a Prince, was a Publishers Weekly Best Book of 98, and her novel, Disobedience, was published by Doubleday in 2000. She lives in, in and writes in an orchard farmhouse in Wisconsin. That's my, that's my favorite bit, that bit at the end um, where you're writing in an orchard farmhouse in Wisconsin. Yes, and it's apple season right now, and I have left them. Are you, so, so is that part of going out and picking apples would be part of the daily regimen? For, for me, yes, no, 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 but my husband's a third generation apple farmer, so it's absolutely, it's his life and his regimen right at the moment. How, how was the growing season this it's year? It's lovely. With the, yeah, it was it's good. It's been very good. Thank oh, you very oh, much. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> let's, um, let's see. I have these other notes here. And so, and also you will be reading tonight at the public library downtown 7 p.m. And Shaman Drum is the co-sponsor of the event and they'll sell, sell books there. So, um, this is kind of, um, a, a bit of a cheesy question, but, and, um, so Anchor Books have just put out, um, when Madeline was young, but uh, am I understanding this correctly that they also re like they've republished in, in a new, like in a paperback edition, all the other books as well, Jane, is that how this works? Um, they haven't republished them. They're still in print. So, but oh, Anchor have, has always been my paperback publisher. So they are all still available. Oh, okay. So far. Okay. Oh, yes. To date. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> I know. Living Writers Show. All these books are in print and available from Anchor Books. Okay. Um, all right. Well, um, so is this something, and this is, I've been kind of fascinated with this for, for some reason for the last couple of weeks on the show, like the idea of how you encapsulate yourself in these biographies. And was this, was it, did you choose to put the um, Orchard Farmhouse in Wisconsin, was this your orchestrating here or was um, it? You know, that bio has been my bio for so long that I don't really recall, but I don't think so because I don't think of my house as being an, what is, how does it go, Orchard Farmhouse? Yes, an yeah. Orchard Farmhouse. Yeah, no, I, I think that was somebody else's brainchild. Okay. <laughs> It's nice. It's very evocative, though. It's actually. How would you say it? Well, like, I actually, it I actually live in the servants' quarters. Um, it's a family compound, and there's a there's a big manor house, and then there's our house, which is. So I would say I live in the, the orchard servants' quarters. And and so is it. <laughs> well, now I'm like flashing back to cider house rules, which is entirely different writer, different books. Um, is that so? Is are, is it then that the extended family is also on the property? Yes. So the other generation. Yes. It's kind mentioned? of like the Kennedys, only not. <laughs> no touch football or whatever, <laughs> tack, slightly, mildly tackling football. and <laughs> Right. And um, less of a trust fund, to put it mildly. Right. But, um, so the apples are important. Oh, it's yes. not just for show. It's oh. not to keep you connected to the earth. No, no, no. The, um, my husband's grandfather started the farm, and, he, and he's in partnership with his cousin. And there's several houses, and it's all re relatives live in them. So it's, I mean, it's really wonderful. It's, it's quite... Um, it, it there's there is a feel of a different era about the place. Yes, yeah, so going out in the world, and, and you mentioned that you're you're taking care of your mother right now. Does that mean that she's also um, brought no, to the? She, no, she is. She has not been brought to the arch, orchard servants' quarter farmhouse yet. Although this could be a possibility, they could be, bring bring her there. Yes, um, and I because I noticed that your book um, is is dedicated for my mother. It so is. It is. And 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 mothers seem to be a strong presence throughout when Madeline was young. Yes. 
It's true. I mean, this the main character, the main mother, Julia McIver, is not my mother. But I wanted to write a book about devotion and marriage, which is uh, an old-fashioned concept now. And certainly my parents had that. And I wanted to write about a happy family. My mother... Um, isn't wasn't a mover and shaker politically the way Julia McIver is, but um, but they they share certain traits. Well, it was important for the character Julia to be a, a mover and shaker, and to do that one day a week with her women's group with the because of the 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 time frame that you yes. place the story in, right? So that was critical during the Vietnam War. And and one of um, Figgy's second husband is then uh, is Arthur, who goes on to be part of Kennedy's inner circle. Yes. So it was all very. Um, um, that's a, well. Why don't we take a short break, Jane, and then we'll maybe we'll come back and talk about the the rooting the the family story in historical moments. And I hope to still be a living author <laughs> when we come back. Fingers crossed. We'll be right back. I told you about strawberry peels You know the place where nothing is real Well here's another place you can go Welcome back, Ann Arbor. If you're just tuning in, <clears throat> tuning in, tuning in, goodness, um, I've been under the weather, so ex- excuse any lapses, Jane and everyone listening. And um, Well, Jane Hamilton is here, and she's currently on book tour um, uh, for her novel, When Madeline Was Young, um, released this October from Anchor Books in paperback form. Um, but tonight, Jane's going to be reading um, uh, from her new novel, which is a comedy. What's what's the title, Jane? Do you have a title? It's called it? Laura Ryder's Masterpiece. Is that Laura Ryder Jackson, the poet, or is it? No, it's a, a writing. Sorry. It's a, God, I'm, remember, no, I've had no, a fever. No, <laughs> it's quite all right. Um, no, Laura Ryder is a um, fictional character who wants to write a romance. Oh, that'll be great. That'll be really I had great. fun. Um, <laughs> and so you should, right? I think because um, we were talking about this before we came on the air a little bit with the your that your current project. Um, so maybe we can, maybe we can get back to that towards the end of the program if you'd like. Certainly. If you'd like to talk a little bit about it. Um, okay. So so when we left off um, in the last uh, quarter, um, I was Jane and I were just talking about. Um, writing a novel that's set 
with uh, in really historical moments where because your story actually it's not a case where you're just using it as a uh, as like a frame like as a as just like it could be any time mm-hmm. it's the, the history is almost a character as well this yeah i really wanted to write um about the way people talk about politics through the decades and how um these particular characters get stuck in their corners and um sort of the the arguments through the decades are the same in many ways and it, it goes from the vietnam war to the iraq war and um i had been working on a novel for four years um which i started in 1999 and and i knew it was dead on arrival in a you know deep in my marrow but um then 9 11 occurred and it just seems so silly to be writing a little drawing room drama about a librarian and who's having adultery when you know the world was clearly changing and had changed and so when this story came to me it it, it the american world in particular because exactly. it, on the la- our land we'd been more impervious but that that's the change isn't it yeah right and so um for some reason this story um served as a good vessel to talk about you know war and the various wars we've experienced in in our lifetimes and um and also the whole political discussion. And there's a character, um, the, the aunt, who starts out as a kind of diehard um, Democrat. And through the years, she changes because she, she marries somebody who, as you said, was an architect of the Vietnam War. And so she becomes very staunchly conservative. And um, so, you know, it was, it, for me, it was really interesting. I was an empty headed girl. And um, and I lived through you know the '60s, but I wasn't paying the slightest bit of attention. I wanted to be a ballerina, so it was wonderful to to really um, you know research the time that I've lived through and to um, and to just have the you know really the deep pleasure of what a fascinating time it's been and troubling. Yes, but yes. interesting. Yes, yeah. Um. It's it's sort of interesting to me that you said because you said you wanted to be a ballerina, uh, um, but I'm wondering what you're because were you saying that you could have been politically active and you chose not to be during that? No, time, I mean I was 12 years old. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. No, no, <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> Sorry, no. that's why I'm sort of perplexed here. No. Um, no, I was born in 1957, so um, you know through the 60s I was just because when you're that young, it's hard to you you have it it make it it changes how you see things and your own perceived safety I'd imagine oh, or security abso- oh absolutely I mean I remember looking out I grew up in Oak Park Illinois and looking out the my mother's my parents bedroom window and seeing the city was was on fire after Martin Luther King was shot and you know there's just rioting and fires on the west side so it was it was it was uh, dramatic and deeply frightening yes yes well that actually um brings me to another point that I was wondering uh, uh, because there's so many levels to this book it's not a, a drawing room family drama as you mentioned maybe that that the, the other book that you write is that book ever going i should never ask, is that that's, never that's not never that, that book will not serve. never um, never are you sure <laughs> <laughs> really no. why so what why are you so oh it had no, against it it, had no, <laughs> it has very nice sentences but it had mm. no psychological depth and i was really not interested in any of the conflicts 
They were just conflicts for conflict's sake. I, you know, I just, I didn't quite know what else to do with myself except try to make that book the best failure I could. And I did that for four years. That... It was really, I'm, kind of, I'm still sort of embarrassed about it. But I didn't know what else to do, and I did have sort of the hope, the faith, that it would lead me to the next thing, which it eventually did. And you said it did, because you said each of the things that you were writing. So maybe some of the concerns con- concerns with, like, the family elements, maybe there were some. No, no nothing. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> Flashback to a moment ago. No, no. I don't there was know. a lovely group sex scene, though. Wow. Well, that might be worth resuscitating for, like, a short story entry. Can it stand alone? No, no. <laughs> Again with the nose. It it didn't even stand in the middle of it. (laughs) Well, standing probably wasn't necessary for that. But anyway, um, I digress. And what I wanted to really talk about was um, was actually... the, the the different levels of the book where you have like you have a character that I'm sure we'll we'll talk about when you read something for us Madeline who who ha- is a character with death disability so you're writing a character with disability and then one of the other characters Russia is the the family um, help sense and 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 she's um, African American mm-hmm. and so that that element is also um, a political aspect of the book yes. Um, and so, and I'm wondering how much of that, was it because of the time that you were inhabiting that it would be impossible to ignore those other, uh, because cause it's a lot to, that's a, a lot of concerns for one book to have. And it, I think it, I think it, I, it works. Um, but writing so many different characters and having these different, like the political concerns based on like the government level and war and then disability yeah. Yeah, I, you're right. There are a, a lot of different strands to it. But, you know, my hope would be that all of it really is about character. And those are details that are are just embedded in the characters' lives rather than sort of themes. And And those were the times they lived in. And so all of that comes through them. Yes. Actually, I read a really great book. Um, one of my favorite authors, Alice McDermott, who wrote a book called After This. And her characters, I mean, she's writing about the same period and um, and the Vietnam War, and the, none of the characters ever really mention anything political. But the times are so infused in the beings of the character that she doesn't characters that she doesn't have to. It's a really wonderful book. And when did you when did you read this, Jane? Was it after you you'd been writing? So it was a conversation, like you. Well, um, her book came out in September that book and mine came out in September last year in hardcovers so I read that book in the summer and I thought oh my goodness she's written my book only so much better and and you know I mean it, no, she's she's just it's 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 different but she really she has um she has the the mastery of a poet in that um her books are so distilled and and they're just they're really they're just little jewels big jewels too I mean this is I, I loved that book I'll have to, I will have to read it's it. It's really great. I will. I've written it down here on my. I saw <laughs> my you. Notes I saw you scribbling. It's a great book. Um, well, well, Jane, let's hear. Let's hear a piece of when Madeline was young. Okay, um, this book is narrated by a boy named Mac McIver. At this point, he's probably sixteen. He has an older sister who's um, brain damaged. It's actually his 
father's first wife. This is not really a secret. Everybody knows it. Um, Madeline, so Madeline is 46. The narrator is 16. Um, and this is a section where Madeline gets a boyfriend, um, and um, his name is Mikey O'Day. So this is actually um, after they've become... Um, boyfriend and girlfriend and Mikey is a musician and he has a a new drum set and there's a bad boy in the neighborhood named Jerry Pindell who um, borrows so to speak the the drum is it important to know that Mikey uh, is also Mikey is also impaired impaired right so they're both in their 40s and as you mentioned before Russia is the cleaning lady the African-American cleaning lady and this takes place in a suburb of Chicago By lunchtime, the news had spread in its pathogenic way from house to house. Everyone knew that Mikey O'Day was going to be the backup drummer, the star backup drummer, that is, in Jerry's band. During rehearsals, if Mikey could get away from the dairy dip, he was going to be allowed to sit, to have an actual seat behind the real drummer. He would have the privilege of being in Jerry Pindell's loft above the garage where the group, the Spellbinders, practiced. It seems almost shameful now that the neighborhood gangsters had such a clean, hopeful name for their band. On the morning when Mikey rushed into the kitchen to tell Madeline he was going to be in the Spellbinders, a negotiation that must have been completed the night before, he neglected in his excitement to kiss her. Jerry's band, she sniffed. I'm the drummer, the backup, the backup drummer, the star, the star backup drummer for Jerry, for Jerry. You're too noisy, she snapped. Russia happened to be having her breakfast, and she said, sit down here, Mikey, sit yourself down. What are you talking about? What's this about Jerry? I'm the drummer. I'm the drummer for Jerry, for Jerry's, for Jerry's band. I told you you're noisy. Madeline crossed her arms on her chest and moved her chair away from him. You make sure you have time for your girl, Russia said. Don't you go leave your girl behind for an old drum set. Mikey, to his credit, stopped in his tracks. Leave? Leave my girl? Madeline was starting to cry, already a drum widow. No longer would she be able to sit at the dairy dip like the first lady, prim and admiring. No longer would Mikey say, this song goes out to my girl, goes out to my girl, my best girl. Never again would the regulars clap and call out, yay, Madeline. She was sobbing into her eggs. No, 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 no. He knelt at her chair. He tried to lift her head, tried to catch her hand. I'll never, I'll never, never leave my girl. It went on, as this particular sequence always did. Her tears, his pleading, more tears, his promises. Eventually she turned to look at him, such a sad sight, her blotchy face, her runny nose. He'd hold her, rocking her until he was forgiven. Pretty soon she'd tell him where and how to sit, what to eat. She'd lick her finger and try to flatten his cowlick. He'd close his eyes, throwing his head back, breathing easy, smiling with satisfaction, as if he'd just finished the long race. They were in love, all right. So, you're going to be in Jerry's band, Russia said, after the storm had passed. You be sure Jerry's good to you, you hear me? Jerry's nice, he's nice to me. I like Jerry, Madeline pronounced. I pray for Jerry, Russia said. You know that? I pray he come to some use, just like I pray for our buddy. Two bad boys who need the Lord, two such bad boys. My mother had been on the telephone upstairs, and when she came into the kitchen, Russia said, You hear the news, Miss Julia? What news? I'm the drummer, Mikey cried. Jerry, Jerry needs me for the drummer in his band, in his band. Does he need your drums, too? I was finally able get to get a word in. Rus- Russia cackled into her napkin. They don't call you smart for nothing, Timothy. 
he's using my drums, using using my drums so I can be the star, the star backup drummer. Ah, my mother said, uh-huh, Rasha said, uh-huh. My sister Louise had made her entrance at that point, and she said, those drums should be repossessed. Jerry Pindell is such a lousy little jerk. I like Jerry. No, Maddie, was all I could think to say. Why? Louise said with disgust in her voice. Why do you like him? He watches me walk, Madeline said. We all turned to stare. Even Mikey looked momentarily startled. She hung her head. I like him. Of course you do, my mother said. He's a fine boy. He's going to turn out just fine. Louise grabbed a piece of bread, tore it from its crusts, and made the dough into one meaty ball. If Jerry comes around asking for my cello, you give it right to him because he's a fine person. She popped the whole thing in her mouth and left the room. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> Thank you. That was great. Yeah, lots of moments of humor there too. I was. I, that's you. why I just sit away from the mic so it wasn't like the laughing coming through. Um, and now I've, I've been mispronouncing. It's Madeline. Not well, Madeline, so I have to. That's how I say it. But you know, there's you can. There's many ways to say it. I actually, when I um, when I was working on it, I called it Madeline in the Piazza because I was inspired to write it by. Because I'd seen um, The Light in the Piazza, the musical based on the novella by Elizabeth Spencer. And I have a friend who's a children's book editor, and I was telling her that that was the name of it, going to be the name of it. And she said, Jane, no, 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 no. Twelve little girls in two straight lines. The youngest one was Madeline. You may not call it Madeline in the Piazza. So <laughs> I changed it. I knew she was right. But I wanted there to be a connection between my book and, and The Light in the Piazza. So I put a little... Um, the, quote the, from the light in the piazza yes yeah and is that what um is that what intrigued something about this scene that play intrigued you to wonder about the story well that- um the the book is a, the the novella and the musical is about a woman who takes her impaired daughter to florence and the and the girl falls in love with an italian the italian falls in back in love with her and because of the language barrier he doesn't realize that she's impaired and at first the mother you know says no 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 we must keep them apart and then she manipulates the situation so the wedding actually takes place it's a wonderful novella and it's a really wonderful musical too and I just was possessed with the, I, you know, what happens next? You know, it can't be good. Right. And the, so, and the story and the musical end with the wedding. Yes. Okay. And, and so that's what, and so you, that's what start, started so, your so wheels I, turning with that. Yes. I went home and thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So could this be a musical too, when Madeline was young? <laughs> um, I think it'd be a little, they'd have to boil down the plot. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just, um, that was a bad joke. That wasn't even, well, let's take a break so I don't make any more. And we'll be right back with Jane Hamilton.
Good afternoon, Ann Arbor. You're listening to the Living Writers Show, and Jane Hamilton is 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 here with us today. Um, just during that break, uh, Jane was talking about. Um, having dinner um, with, uh, will you tell us I the little you. story? Yeah. Yes, I, was, I, I recently had the good fortune to um, sit next to Stephen Schwartz at a different dinner party, and he wrote, um, well, he's, he's written a lot of music and lyrics through the years. I think his first play was when he was in his early 20s, and he wrote Godspell. Day by day, and then um, there's always some singing on the show. I love Pippin, that. <laughs> and he wrote Wicked, his most recent, and he wrote. Um, I think he's gotten several Oscars for Disney um, songs. So anyway, I, w- I was saying that, of course, uh, no doubt, any author who sits next to Stephen Schwartz wishes that he would set all of you know her books to music. I, I did not mention this because I thought it was unseemly, <laughs> but um, but there he was, you know, with all that in his head. Can you imagine writing Godspell when you're 23? Yeah. Or however long. And he, he also wrote a, a lot of the, he wrote the words and I think he worked on the music with Leonard Bernstein for Bernstein's Mass. Ooh. I will sing the Lord a simple song to bless him, to praise him all of my days. I mean, I'm, I'm not religious, but I, I, I adore that. It's just... It's that is that's beautiful. I don't think I've ever heard it before. James. Oh, it's lovely. It's oh. great. It's great. I, and I have a special connection with Godspell because my high school boyfriend played Jesus. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> that's there's a whole program on that. Totally. Huh? <laughs> and when I was in college when this occurred, and um, I had gone to see the play, and and he called me, and I was hundreds of miles away, and you know, in those days, you got a knock on the door, and then you had to run five hundred yards to the one phone in the hall, and I said hello, and he said Jane. I said Michael. I said Jane. I have a question to ask you. <gasps> what? Says I. Jane, I have to ask you this question. <gasps> what? I say again. And he said, did you think the curtain call was the resurrection? Oh, oh no. <laughs> and what oh, did you say? I was, you know, I was expecting a proposal yes. of marriage. <laughs> I, I just kind of said, I, I, I thought it was the curtain call. <laughs> And then you quietly started sobbing. <laughs> you slumped down by the public payphone. No. Anyway, well, it was yeah. He wasn't he wasn't meant to be anyway, right? He had to be go and be Jesus. Why don't you? Um, well, yeah. I wonder if um, that people who what is this the man's name who Stephen Schwartz Stephen Schwartz I wonder if he when he starts to read a book if he just starts hearing it in a way that's different. Like, I that would wonder. Be, he must. He must. I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, he he spoke about how in his line of work, he's always appropriating other pre- people's works, beginning with the Bible. <laughs> wow. Might as you well know, start you there. Know, he was very uh, uh, humble and said, you know, I don't really do anything. I just appropriate other people's works. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's basically all done for me. <laughs> well, this sounds like a great dinner party. Oh, it was wonderful. It was thrilling. And, me, and maybe he'll, um, yeah, that, oh, we'll have to look for that. Like your, your next, the comedy, your next book will yeah. be um, Laura Ryder the musical yeah maybe we'll see i hope so Uh (laughs) um well 
let's see. Well, I have kind of a goofy question now, maybe. Um, I wanted to know what it was like for you. Um, and so this is probably, this is going to be cheesy. I can't even believe I'm asking this. Okay, just ask it, Hetzel. All right. Um, when your book, when two books were picked up by Oprah for her book club. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just wondered, like, this is probably something you've answered a hundred times, though. So I'm sorry if it's boring. Like, what it meant to you as a writer. Well, she gave me a million readers. She gave me a million readers. That's amazing. That's like, I can't really actually comprehend that, though. No, (laughs) no, I was perfectly happy after the Book of Ruth had been in print for seven years and there were 85,000 copies in print. I was thrilled. That was beyond my wildest dreams that it would even still be in print. So she gave it a whole huge new life and, and, um, you know, I'm incredibly grateful to her. Did you, do you, like when that happens, does, do you go and talk to her? Did, did you, well, she, the phoned, show or she phoned you... me at my home. Hi, this is Oprah. Um, yeah, I was. <laughs> Wait, do your Oprah voice. <laughs> I mean, no, that was really true. I had met her years before and we'd, we'd had a lovely lunch about around the subject of books. This was long before the book club. So I met her and I think one of her great gifts and she has many, but she makes you feel as if you've been friends for life. And she just, has, you know, you feel like you have an immediate connection. And wow. then, you know, if you've read the same books, that enhances the connection. But, um, yeah, so in those days, I, well, I, I'm not sure. Well, the book club really, as it was, is no longer um, up and running. But um, you would there were, you would go and, and they'd film a whole segment with chosen readers. And um, at the beginning, and I was in the beginning, they'd choose a locale, a locale that was um, sort of part of the book scenery. So... Um, the book of Ruth, Ruth in the book is a is a good, very good bowler. In fact, it's her only talent. So we filmed the whole luncheon in a bowling alley, and then later, when a map of the world was chosen, it was several years later. They they had a book club set, and they'd sort of dispensed with trying to find these exotic locations that fit the book. And so, and and that was, you know, that was. Um, well, that one was uh, different because it was sort of in conjunction to a movie had been made of it, and Sigourney Weaver was also a guest, so there was the excitement of, of, um, of her, of her being there. And she, she has, she, she's, you know, when you see these people, you you think, oh yeah, they're pretty, but when you see them in person, mm. she, she was, she was truly glamorous, and you don't realize how rare that actually is. Right, for but, it to come across on the screen, there is something. That's nice to know that there is something extra, like some sort of charisma yeah absolutely and 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 again and you know when you see it you realize how rare it is that that it's it's just not an everyday thing um how how when when you saw the film how did that were you was that something that you could be happy with um did it mirror sort of some of your vision for the book or is it something that does it just feel like a separate art object altogether? It feels like a separate object. And I think in particular, well, I think most writers would wish that their book was made into a 10-part miniseries, of course, so that every little detail and nuance could be... And That's great. I've never thought of that before. That would be uh, perfect. Well, you and know, then a musical. Right. And then a musical. <laughs> or maybe the musical before. But... Um, you know, that particular book is two interior monologues. And if you boil it down to the plot, it's the Monday Night Movie, which is one of the reasons I wanted to write that book. I wanted to see if I could take the Monday Night Movie and make it into something, you know, literary. This wow, is just, so that was something you were aware of. Yeah, and and this is just an aside. I was 
I was at a college, um, yeah, a, co- a couple days ago, and so everybody was under 22, and I, and I said that about the Monday Night Movie, and they all looked puzzled, and I realized the Monday Night Movie dates me. But anyway, <laughs> um, so the people who made the movie were really wanted to take the high road and not make the Monday Night Movie, and for that I was really grateful. And, um, you know, it was a good movie, and it had a wonderful score that um, Pat Metheny, the jazz um, artist did and yes. the performances were great to me you know because I know the book intimately it f- it feels like a synopsis and and I don't see how it couldn't because they had to boil 420 pages into a 120 page script so you know and I think that's just inevitable but you know there were certain things but sometimes there's an understanding with visuals that what they can bring with that dimension that could be pages and pages also somehow with the right right yes well, that's not true. exactly I don't mean that exactly because well, you're losing the, the the words but well that's true I mean I, I I often have that sensation when I see movies of books that I know that you know it's just it's a kind of a, a flash here a flash there you know it, that it's quick I mean, yeah. certainly my children say that about the Harry Potter movies. Right. Um, so, but, but it was a fine, it was a fine movie. I actually, I haven't seen it, so I'll have to see it. I wonder if, um, but that must have been, that must have been kind there, of fun to it have was, that be another dimension. It maybe, was fun. And there was, you know, there were certain things when I read the script, I thought, and they were my words, they were my dialogue, um, particularly for the Sigourney Weaver character, Alice Goodwin. And I thought, you know, I wrote that in the book, and for the book it seemed fine, but I, I can't imagine an actress saying that without it sounding sort of stuffy and literary. Really? And, and... Yet there's this, this one little speech that she has near the end, but she she did it so wonderfully, and it didn't it didn't seem um, extreme in it a kind authentic. of literary way. But there was this one scene where um, uh, Julianne Moore is grieving, just grievously grieving, and she's sobbing. And I wrote this. I wrote this. She's sobbing and she's smoking. I'm not a smoker, and I I saw that scene actually being shot, and you know she's. <laughs> <laughs> and then she takes a drag. <laughs> and I just thought nobody would do that. That that just no. And you know, I wasn't there to give advice. So, so yeah, I, what do you do at that point? I just watched it. And you know, she pulled it off, but it just seemed it seemed wrong. <laughs> Although, you know, I mentioned this along the I've mentioned this along the way and somebody who was a smoker said, "No, you know, I've really cried and smoked at the same time, but it just Right, right. Oh, that's so funny. You're sitting there in one of those chairs, right? The director's type chairs. And you're like, "Ah, you know, I'd like to change that. Yeah. And also, she, you know, they shot, you know, many takes of it. And in between takes, she would go and whimper because she was still in character. And I just felt like I couldn't say, hey, now, you know, I think that you should not smoke in the next take. (laughs) Right. That was really moving. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Now I have to get back. What are what are some more of let's get back to the, the, the writing then too. Okay. Of um as I I wrestle through some some um enough hilarity. Um so well I'm not sure I, okay, I'm not sure that we've we've covered this and we might actually um Okay. I don't even know how to phrase this, so I'll just jump in. Um, was was this the first time for you writing um, deeply about having a, a character um, with disability, a, a 
be a main part of the the work mm-hmm. and how how did you research this um yeah yeah well um in the book of ruth actually which is my first book the husband of ruth is um sort of impaired but um which is important to the the plot and everything but the, this did feel more central and i you know in the in the elizabeth spencer novella there's an impaired girl clara. and and it's yes. the clara and it's she does it very impressionistically. She doesn't go into the medical details of it. And also, um, I think the novella takes place in 1952-ish. So, um, Not as much was understood. Not as much time. was understood. And that's true for Madeline's injury, too. She's injured in 1944. And, so, and there's a moment um, when Mac says, and he, Aaron and Julia, his parents, never asked him, because he's a doctor, he's a doctor. To, to look into it later as well, which he wondered right, about. Right, right. Yeah, there was a certain amount of privacy around her injury, or um, what what does he call it instead of privacy? Um, uh, I can't remember the word he uses. um, No, I do know what, I know the section you mean. I don't know if I can find it. Yeah, but, but, you know, I I mean, I, I sort of set a trap for myself in making the narrator a doctor. So I had to, I had to convince myself that he slash I really understood the the science of her injury um, and I read a lot of books about brain injury and I also had a text a medical school a, a medical student's huge textbook and I would just open it and read it in the morning when I began writing it was really wonderful I you know my new goal in life is to have a cadaver um, because you know, so what a privilege, really, for people yes. who are in med school to have that experience. It's so true. Have you read Body of Work by Christine Montross? No, because she was on the show earlier, and I think you would love that book. Okay, well, uh, Body of Work. Yes. Okay, I will. will oh, and up. actually, I'm sorry. I just have to do the station ID. Yes. Um, and we'll take a short break and come back, Jane. Okay. Um, you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor, the Living Writers Show. We'll be right back with Jane Hamilton. Welcome back. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today, Jane Hamilton, um, who I so <laughs> bluntly <laughs> swooped in and cut off. Could you please continue talk, talking about your the medical research? Yeah, so I was... The cadaver? <laughs> the dead. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I did... Um, I felt... A, that Elizabeth Spencer, because she had written the Clara character sort of impressionistically, that I also had that, I took that license. I, and But I also read enough to know that every brain-impaired person is unique. And um, 
So, but I think more realistically, perhaps a person with Madeline's injury probably would have become obese. But it was important to me that she, um, that her beauty be intact. And and that's not to say it's not impossible. Why was that? Do you think that that I needed her to be beautiful? Oh, because, um, well, she gets this great boyfriend, and. it served as a contrast between the second marriage that her that Aaron McIver has and and his second wife is is plain she's a big hearty girl and um and this doesn't explain much but that is really just so how i saw madeline as being physically lovely all the way along almost like grace kelly i think yes. they say right yeah. that's um yeah um it's it's interesting too because with julia the the second wife aaron mciver's second wife julia is a nurse and and actually is at the first wedding even because she's yes. friends with the husband's um, sister. sister figgy mm-hmm. uh, who figures prominently because she names the narrator mac right yes which is and names are so important in this story as well names are important in russia that, that seems like such an important name for her in that time period as well and um and russia calls mac the only one to call him his given name timothy right? yes. yeah so that's so interesting throughout um but getting away from my question uh, because it seems like there's you're concerned also with class differences um for because julia goes to Radcliffe and that's where she she rooms with Figgy she does and And she feels very cut off because she's with all these Brahmins you know she would have been in Radcliffe um, in the early 40s late 30s and she's a she's a Midwestern Quaker and um, she just she drops out eventually and goes to nursing school, goes which is something more home. practical. She wants to do good. Yes, yes. <laughs> on a large scale, but she eventually does good on a small scale. People have asked me along the way, you know, was Julia really good? Well, or, right, yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Because you just said you wanted to write about a happy family. And I that's did. a hard thing to write about. Well, you know, I feel that Jonathan Franzen in the corrections had has the last word on familial dysfunction at the end of the twentieth <laughs> century. We've done that. We we you know. So let's move on. And um, and of course, every happy family is always on the brink of being an unhappy family. But um, I did want to write about people who were devoted to each other, and I think that Julia, although she has her glitches, you know, she's 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 a good lefty. But she's rather belligerent in her beliefs, and and you know she's she's so impassioned, uh, particularly about the war, that she cannot be friends with her sister-in-law ultimately. Um, so that's sort of a shameful thing for a good liberal, but um, to not have that to kind be of, that open-minded, yeah, to be able to yeah. right. <laughs> um, but I think that she essentially is is a deeply good person, and I think that her, although she has a reason to care for care for Madeline. She, you know, she loves her husband and she wants to be a dutiful wife. I also think that she she really loves Madeline and she wants to take good care of her and she does. Although there's the question too of whether she infantilizes her, but you know, yes. it was a different time and um and you know, there wasn't sort of daycare for impaired people and there wa- there weren't brain scans and so they just sort of rear her up and she falls into the role herself also madeline does yes yes and and um 
And it seems like there there's a balance in the book where you give um, Figgy, the, the husband, Aaron McIver's sister, Figgy, um, the voice of dissension, really. Right, right. She's saying, oh, you should put her away, and oh, she really could do more, and oh, you're just And taking her. shots at Julia's character, right? Right. To her son, Mac. Right, right. Your mother wasn't really the saint that we all think she, you know, she is. She's She, she was in it to get a man. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's an awful She could long... never have gotten a man on her own powers because she was plain. She was, and she had those great big spanky pants that I used to see in our college <laughs> dorm radiators draped over the radiators and they made me giggle every time. Spanky pants. That's a good one. <laughs> Carter's spanky pants. You're too young to, to know that that's what our underwear was called in the old days. Because Carter's has a whole line of children's clothes too, this don't they? This was pre that. This okay. was pre jockey. This was pre Victoria's <laughs> Secrets. There was Carter's spanky pants, and that was it. Wow! It's and they I, came up, you know, past the belly button. Oh, they were okay. they were you know really sexy. <laughs> Especially on a radiator, I'd imagine. <laughs> well, um, we'll see. I love when the show's informative, too. It's like, you know, we're teaching kids history, you know. Um, but so, so I think that, I, but but going back to, to the Julia character and, and having, I think that's, it seems that Julia is also a foil for the McKeevers in a way. Like she, because she's someone who is hard, not that they aren't hardworking as well, but it's seemingly a moneyed family in this time and um, right she's she's not quite of their uh, she's not on the social register her family wasn't right so um, so but her husband is you know a, a, a lovely geek so. and he seems sort of almost far away in lots of the book doesn't well, he well that's true that's true um, Mac the narrator is less interested in him than he is in the women and you know he was just this rock solid guy who um, is an ornithologist and he was working as so many fathers and husbands were in that era um, and so he isn't present a lot. And when he is, he's, he's, I mean, after all, he's living with these two w- women who are fairly big personalities. He would have to be belligerent himself to get a word in. Right. That was seemingly so. But do you think it's, was, do you think it was a subconscious concern of yours with this, the relationship with the mothers and the, the those relationships throughout the book? Because we've got Figgy and Buddy as well. Um I don't know. Well, you know, I guess if if I was um, an academic, which I'm not, thank God, and I was looking at my work, I probably would conclude that um, I have a, a a weird thing about the strong, silent male, and that you know, because there's there's in Except, most of the books there is. But your male, it, your narrator, I'm sorry, is is male, and and you said and and from your book before disobedience. The narrator was male as well, right? Right. Something but there's still silent this. males who, I mean, we we see their interior, but you know, and uh, and in, in in life they don't talk that much. They let the women around them talk, which is you know feels true to life to me. Women tend to talk more than men, in my experience. Except Aries men. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to something cheesy. We're getting somewhere deep, and I have to immediately da da da. Um, I mean, that's been one of the pleasures of writing from the male point of view in the last two books is just appreciating men and what they do have to put up with. And and you place um, you place Mac in in a family of all women too 
because then not only does he go his second his his family when he's married yes. let me clarify he has that three daughters yes and a, and a wife one right. wife <laughs> one house. wife three daughters <laughs> and they are all talkers yes and it's but it's interesting too because sometimes you have scenes that lead into each other with these parallel families of max family growing up family mm-hmm. with aaron and julia and, and madeline and louise and then you have um his his family with diana and these different times, and then it goes almost from one dinner table to another. Is that is was that a move you intended to do? Like have these parallels? So I don't mean to make I, it sound I'd, academic. Or I'd, I'd like to say uh, that I intended it. I I I mean I think this book does have a structure, but um, I didn't really plan it. It it just it sort of evolved, and it was. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, it did evolve, and you know it was kind of a mess. And because I'd been working on the failed novel, I actually something I I don't usually do. I sent it to my editor while it was a rough draft, and Madeline's boyfriend Mikey O'Day wasn't in it at all. And she said, "I think Madeline needs a boyfriend." And the minute she said that, I just I saw, saw it, it clearly, and and for some reason that I well, Mikey is the glue that holds the book together, and I and I think. Th- I think that is so because all of the characters tell stories about Madeline. You know, she doesn't really have her own voice much, but everybody has their own narrative about her and Mikey O'Day really spices up that narrative. So he's he's important acting. Right. I I mean, as in action. Right. Right. So, so he was, he was key ingredient. Well, that's so interesting. And is that why you chose to read that section? Um, I've never read that section out loud before, and I just thought I would. Oh, that's wonderful. It's a, it's a, a scoop for the Living Writer show, then. <laughs> um, well, this has just been so, so lovely to talk with you Oh, it's been a pleasure. Today, Thank you. It's, it's such a joy when the radio personality has actually read the book. Oh, I, are <laughs> Which you referring you have, to me? Am I the radio personality? Yes, you are the radio personality, and you've done your homework so beautifully, and it makes it really fun for me. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you for being being on the program, and, and come back. Any, are you... Um, where where are you going next on the tour? Give us. Give I'm going us to a Salt Lake City. There's a um, a writer a writing writers festival. Oh right, so. I, and I noticed that you're also going to Austin for a book festival, and then there's a couple of book groups that you you're talking. Is that yes, true as well? Yes. That's well, interesting. I'm doing a panel about. Um, choosing book how, how I choose the books to read which I just realized yesterday was what I was doing because I thought I was giving a talk but no I'm just talking about why I choose the books I read with, God, with, how do you with Val- how do you deconstruct with Valerie, that with Valerie Martin who's a wonderful writer so it'll be it'll be fun oh that's nice so it'll be a conversation yeah, and basically conversation. you can talk about books you love then yes that's good but that's weird to think about how you choose them. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just um, it's not a science and it's not an art. It's just something that happens. It, they come to you, don't they? And then sometimes you'll uh, go read all one one writer that'll true. or a book will be named in the or something. Yeah, there's all yeah, there's all sorts of different avenues, and you know the 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 funnest way is to go into a small bookstore. And I, for for me, when I go into a small store, I'm not overwhelmed, and everything looks good. Yes. And then you see a beautiful cover, and then you see a writer who you love, and you say, "Oh, there's a new one," and you know, it just. <laughs> and then you come out with your shopping bag, and you feel so happy. Yes, it's just joyful. There's nothing like a bookshop, whether it's new or a used bookshop. I sometimes I worry about the used bookshops that they're going to be dying. Dinosaurs. Um, I think they're doing I okay. Not. I hope so. I think they are doing. Maybe I'm making this up, but my 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 sensors say that they might be doing better than new bookstores. Then there's so many of them. They've sort of cropped up. 
Well, that's good news. Yeah, that's oh, good. I'm that's, I'm I'm going to say that's the news. That's, that's great, and I'm going to believe you. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to. Um, and now, thanks to, to thanks to our engineer Jesse Johnston, as always, Jesse, and thanks for listening, Ann Arbor, um, and for streaming in Seattle, Chicago, England, and I have just a couple of couple of. Um, people I'd like to to mention Aliki Barnstone will be um, giving a reading tomorrow Thursday October 25th a poetry reading um, in at the Michigan League Vandenberg room um, second floor at five o'clock that's Aliki Barnstone poet and then let's see this coming Tuesday October 30th at seven o'clock at Shaman Drum we've got Allison Hagee God I hope I'm pronouncing her name right please let me know if it's wrong snow and ashes she'll be reading from at Shaman drum on Tuesday at seven o'clock. So, um, so there's some poetry, um, for you. Um, thanks so much, Jane, for being Jane Hamilton, um, in her book, When Madeline Was Young, and, uh, until next time. She's not a girl who misses much. Shot the velvet hand like a lizard on a window pane. The man in the crowd with the multicolored mirrors on his hobnail boots. Lying with his eyes while his hands are busy working overtime. A soap impression of his wife, which he ate and donated to the National Trust. Conkle sending out the signals, setting up outside. The one-two pitch, fastball, swing, and a miss. He struck him out. Jim Brower with his 200th career strikeout to end the top of the second inning. And Brower is now just the eighth pitcher in Michigan.